This is Betsy Palmer, and I'm not sorry that I lost my head. It's been worth every moment of it. of decapitation without your head i'm nasty neil and i'm joined here with the team behind hearts of darkness the making of the final friday we have nick hunt hello good to have you back peter bracky of crystal lake memories hey there uh the director of said documentary edwin samuelson that's correct. That's me. Hi, everybody. All right. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and the director of Jason Goes to Hell himself, Adam Marcus. It's good to have you back. Yeah. Good to be back, Neil. It's awesome that, to, to be back here with you, brother. Yeah, it's very cool. So to, so it's been the 13-day countdown. Today's the day. The Indiegogo campaign is launching. So mm-hmm. give it, I mean, I think the title kind of tells everyone what the what is being made, but I guess give everyone an idea of what they are in store for um eddie you want to take that one brother okay well yes um adam uh, i met adam about a couple of years ago and he asked me to come on board and be, and be involved with this stock and it's a lot to the story um people you know there's been many books written well not many books but let's say peter has written a great book on the series mm-hmm. crystal lake memories which i know everyone has seen there's been documentaries but um there's only so much space and stuff and that can be reported you know in these books and the documentary we hope to tell will tell a very interesting story of a young man by the name of Adam Marcus, who is now a good buddy, about how a guy who is 22-year-old snot-nosed kid at a film school, how the hell did someone give him the keys to the kingdom to the <laughs> biggest horror franchise? Who in their right mind would do this? And, and not only that, how did he actually get a movie made and get it into a theater? 
22 years old out of film school. I think it's a fascinating story. And there's so many stories to tell. And, uh, and Adam was very smart to bring on board to the man who I consider the definitive Friday the 13th expert, Mr. Peter Brackett. So, oh, uh, oh, thank you. To, well, you are the expert, my friend. I love the series as a kid. I grew up with it, but let me tell you, I have to tip my hat. He knows more than I do. And he made his life, he made it into his life. Yeah. <laughs> We're, we're, we're waiting for the for the game show, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'll Peter, tell you, I like to, go on. Oh, go ahead. No, you go on. Sorry. No, I apologize. I, I, there might be a slight lag, so if I if I cut you off, I apologize. No, you know, it was interesting doing the book when I started it. You know, you do all these interviews. I I, I mean, just on Jason goes to hell alone. I mean, it was over twenty. And when you start putting a book together, it's so painful. I'm sure Adam can speak to this in terms of like making a movie. You have to edit something down. You know, I'll do an interview that's like an hour long with someone with all this great stuff, and you have to cut it down to like two quotes. So we start putting it together. You know, I think I love the book. And really what it does, I think it captures sort of the, res- the basic residue of making Jason Goes to Hell. But there's so many other stories uh, and the things that you just can't fit. And then when they did the documentary, which, um, which uh, you know, um, I was very excited when they did it, but I, I was not personally intimately involved with it. You know, then you have to condense the whole book chapter down to basically, I think it was like 28 minutes. Um, so there's a whole, you know, wealth of other stories that just haven't been told. And, and the stuff you can do too visually with the documentary is, is really exciting. So, you know, even if you read, read the book and seen the uh, Chris Lake memory stock, there's so much more of the story to tell. And then also, I think, you know, here we are, it's been 15 years since the book came out. And I think since Jason Over Hell, it's what, 26 years. So what I was telling you, talking yeah. about Adam, what really excited me about this doc too was there's this whole new generation of kids who have grown up on these movies that, you know, either weren't alive or were maybe like two years old when Jason Goes Out came out. So, you know, my book was from the perspective of someone who grew up on the movies as a kid. You know, I remember the first Friday the 13th when I was 10, but now I'm meeting these kids at conventions and their first exposure, you know, sometimes their first Friday the 13th movie with Jason Goes to Hell. So they have a totally new perspective. So it's just really exciting to see this movie reach a whole new generation in a totally different way. So mm-hmm. it's a total kind of fertile ground to explore. It's never been explored mm-hmm. before. And not, I, I completely added, agree with Peter. Yeah. yeah. It's so fascinating, you're, you're actually, to hear it that way. Well stated, Peter. Very well stated. Yeah, I was just, yeah. Well, Ad, yeah. Adam, yourself, uh, when, when the idea came up, were you on board originally? And uh, Were you initially like, yeah, let's do this? Uh, well, let's put it, okay, here's, here's what happened. Nick, uh, Nick had approached me on Facebook uh, to talk about it. And Nick was a, you know, was a friend on Facebook. We really didn't know each other. He you know, I, I have a I have a rigmarole when someone friends me, I go through their entire profile, backdating at least five years. Uh, to make sure that this isn't a crazy person that I'm that I'm joining up with. And, and you still so accepted? I brought him. Yeah, I I, I accepted, and um, uh, with <laughs> trust me, with reservation. Um, but no, I'm kidding. Uh, then then Nick reached out to me about about you know about possibly doing this, and he said, look, he said. He'd already been going out to actors involved in the franchise and had already been getting letters of intent from some of them. That's what actually caught me was that, you know, Nick was actually doing the work of a producer already. And there's a lot of people who bring me a lot of stuff. And I, I usually just go, that's great. Thanks so much. That's a bye. Bye bye now. And with Nick, I just felt like, okay, here's a guy who actually cares about what he's interested in putting together. The problem for me was that I did not want to be involved with anything that was going to be a puff piece. 
Um, because that's what you get on, on, look, that's what you get on, on, uh, on Blu-rays and DVDs is you get these movies that are about the making of, but they don't get you, filmmakers and Eddie knows this better than anybody. You don't get a chance to really cut into what happened. How did this happen? When you do, yeah. and Eddie has been involved with, with several documentaries where, um, when you can actually cut through the meat of things and find the part of it that is really like either damning or, or more confrontational or more conflict driven, those documentaries stay with you forever. Those are great docs. Well, Oh yeah. That's what I said to Nick was like, I don't, I don't want to do anything that isn't conflict driven. It has to have a story. This has, this can't be the story is how we shot the movie. Who cares? The story (laughs) for me has to be, has to be, you know, look, I look back on it. And, and I see the fact that I was, tw- you know, look, I was 21 when I came to work with Sean. I set up my first movie with Sean at Disney at 21. At 22, at really at 21, he hired me. But at 22, I was on board officially. And I'm writing and directing, you know, the, the, the eighth sequel, you know, the ninth part, the eighth sequel, to what is, at that point especially, the largest horror franchise in film history. There had never been a franchise that had made more money and done as well as these movies. The problem is, it's a franchise that is limited. I mean, it's a guy in a hockey mask slaughtering teenagers with a machete. That's it. And every once in a while, he finds a weed whacker or something else. So for me, um, when I'm brought on board, Sean Cunningham put even more handcuffs on me, which was, I want the fucking hockey mask out of the movie. And look, I know Sean, and again, the documentary is going to go into this, I, I think, a lot. Um, but I know Sean likes to tell the tale, but that's not how it happened. And, you know, my, my response to it, and this is also something that, that we've all talked about it as a group at length. My response to that is, okay, let's take Sean at his word. Here's Sean Cunningham in his mid fifties. Here's Adam Marcus 21. When I first had this meeting with him. So I'm 21. He's in his mid fifties and he's Sean S fucking Cunningham. He is the creator of the Friday 13th franchise, creator of the house franchise. This is, this is a significant filmmaking force. I am a 21 year old student from NYU who won best picture at NYU. What did you do? And I walk in the room and I say, Hey, Sean, we're going to take the goddamn mask out of the movie. Gotcha. And Sean went, sure, Adam, just don't hit me again. Or, or, did Sean say to me, get mask out of the movie? And the 21-year-old went, anything you need, sir. You got it. I'm on it. Which scenario sounds more real? Mm-hmm. So the minute you look out like that, this, this idea that Sean had, you know, a 45-year-old director sitting in his office, you know, pitching him his idea, and I had just done $300 million grocers. And Sean went, okay, I'll take whatever you got, buddy. I just want you on the movie. Mm-hmm. That's the way he, he behaves, as though I was that guy. And I was a 21-year-old snot-nosed kid who, who, who was excited to have the job and excited to do something. And literally, I'm told, you can't have the mask. I was like, uh, what movie is that going to be? Uh-huh. So this movie gets to explore that. Mm-hmm. And that's why I was excited to get involved. Yeah. 
And, uh, and you, you know, know, first of all, go on. Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, first of all, I wanted to say thank you to Adam for the kind words and uh, for the for the impeccable explanation of, of of how he feels this documentary, you know, is going to be portrayed. And, uh, you know, I have to agree and say that, you know, whether, you know, we've always been very vocal that whether you were a fan or whether you're somebody who has the reservations about Jason Goes to Hell, we want everybody from all walks of life. Like Peter said, we want the new generation. We want the generation that was there in the theater. We want every single possible person to be able to, you know, objectively watch this and, you know, have a fantastic, thrilling experience and just be able to go and, and, and sit and listen and just, you know, have something that's really memorable for them and for the fans. And most importantly, you know, like Peter said, they had to squeeze everything into a 20 minute segment. And that wasn't really fair to a lot of the cast and crew, you know, that, you know, maybe weren't a lot of the time and, and the respect to, you know, to talk about their yeah. roles in it. Yeah. And yeah. this gives that opportunity to everybody. This gives the love and see when I came to Adam, it was of the utmost respect. I had seen over the years, the, 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 the talk about Jason goes to hell. And I just okay, felt that, that Adam uh, needed the, his due. And you can, you look, you can say, listen, there are people who love this movie and, and they're awesome and I, they're, they are my tribe and that's fantastic. And then there are a lot of people, a lot of people who fucking hate this movie. I mean, hate it. Yes. Uh-huh. And, again, and that's what the, the documentary is going to talk about. Exactly. Yes. That's and what that's we want to talk about. If this documentary isn't born out of that conflict, we're, we're not doing our job. Then, then what, what story are we telling? Mm-hmm. And two, you know, I, I grew up, uh, some of the great, I don't know if you guys ever seen a documentary uh, about the making of the abyss called, I think it's called Under Pressure. Oh, but it's, it's awesome. really, yeah, it's awesome. Um, but one it's of the awesome. things I remember, I wasn't a big fan of the abyss and watching that documentary, what I, and I realized too, doing the book was, you know, I went in, there were certain prior scenes that, you know, personally I, I didn't like, um, I won't say which one, mm-hmm. but you know, after you meet with the filmmakers and interview the well, part, well, part, like part eight, I mean, a lot of people don't like that one, but um, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's like Jason is in Manhattan, blah, blah, blah. But then after meeting the director and the writer, you talk to the actors, um, same with the abyss. It's like, you start to realize, even if you don't like something, once you understand someone's process and the decisions they made and why they made them. And a lot of times, like, you know, Adam's saying, you know, decisions you make are dictated by a producer or, or a studio um, you start to get a respect. So even if you don't like a movie, I, I, I think a really great documentary will help even people who hate the movie at least understand where the people who made it were coming from. And I think it gives yeah. you a new appreciation and respect for the people behind it. So it doesn't I don't think we're trying to like convince anyone of anything that I don't think yeah. you can do that in a documentary. But um I definitely think it will give people a new kind of eye opening experience about why decisions yeah. are made. Um, and yeah. two again, you know, with the new generation, there's people that love this movie and I realized talking with Adam what kind of got me excited about a year I think about a year ago when he came to me and told me about this um, was you know meeting all these kids at conventions and stuff it's like I I realized wow you know my whole uh, uh, feelings about all the Friday the movies were based on being a kid again when I was like 10 and loving (laughs) the first movies and then I go to see Jason goes oh or Jason takes Manhattan it's like wait this isn't the movie I grew up on when I was 10 <laughs> um, and I realize I have these feelings I think a lot of horror fans are like that you want the movie to make you feel like you did when you saw the first one and that's really not fair yeah. to put that onus on filmmakers and so I see these young kids are like 
they love the fact that it's not like the original. They love the fact that, you know, it has all this crazy stuff in it and it's different. And, you know, Jason only yep. shows up at the end and all that kind of stuff. So you start to realize that, you know, part of our reaction to a movie is our own kind of biases and, and what we're coming mm-hmm. into it with. So to me, it's fascinating to explore how a movie can be, mean so many different things to so many different people. So yeah. that's a very long one. Very long-winded answer. That's, uh, that's <laughs> not, not at all, man. That's here. a great answer. I agree. That's an excellent yeah. point. People, it's like, I'll give you an example. The reason, when I first started Friday the 13th, believe it or not, I had a Puerto Rican babysitter who was telling, who was really into horror films. And I remember, <laughs> you know, I'm serious. And she was like, oh, I just brought Friday the 13th. And so I go to the video store and I see the back cover, which I believe at the time was part three. I rented it, scared the shit out of me. And, uh, but it was a great feeling. It's that it's the guys, it's the era. It's the mindset that you're in when you see these films for the first time. And when the films come out every year, but don't forget, this was the longest delay at the time. I believe from Friday the 13th films. Well, yes. you know, at that time with people waiting five years for a sequel. And when it came out, not only was it very different because, you know, as Adam has mentioned, he tried to do something different. People were, you know, they were conflicted. A lot of people were not, it wasn't what they were expecting. It was a good movie, right. but it wasn't what the Friday the 13th that they knew. Yep. And that's one thing the documentary is going to explore. And we're also going to explore the zeitgeist. You know, people in the mindset of the kid, it's like, for example, when you have a band that you love, like one of the bands I love so much is, is the Pixies. You know, they broke up for a long time and they put out a new album. And a lot of people didn't like it because it didn't sound like the old stuff. No matter how much you try, sometimes you just can't capture that zeitgeist that era, the time, the magic, you know, it's people, the, the, the mindset that they're in and everything. We're going to explore that too. Mm-hmm. You know, I think yeah, it's definitely the age and the mentality of the people when they see the films, you know, it's like a lot of times they can't capture it. But I think, I think that Adam did a very, made a very interesting film and people are still talking about it today. It's very different. It's, it's with the exception of part five, it's probably the most controversial film in the series. Yeah, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it definitely incites the most reactions, for sure. Mm-hmm. Especially doing all the interviews mm-hmm. in the book, you know. And that's um, one that I would say is very cool. interesting, Peter. People that don't even like, mm-hmm. don't like Friday the 13th, like Jason Goes to Hell, which is interesting. I've mm-hmm. noticed that. People who are not Friday yeah. the 13th fans like Jason Goes to Hell, where a lot of the diehard fans don't like it because it's so different than the formula. Oh, yeah. A lot of people consider it a standalone, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, another thing you know, what really kind of fascinated me, too, and thinking about it after talking to Adam, you know, in the last few months and things is what I love and, um, you know, what I love about writing books and looking at stuff. And like you're saying before, Adam, I think when a movie comes out, you don't really know what its legacy is going to be. And even doing Chris Lake Members 15 years ago, it was like it hadn't been that long. But now here we are 20 some years later. And when I look at Jason Goes to Hell, I see a movie that in many ways predated a lot of things that we see now, like expanded universes and, you know, including mythologies and things like that. You have to remember in 1993, you know, we had had all these Friday 13th and Halloween and Elm Street movies. So no matter how great Jason Goes to Hell was or wasn't, um, that time period horror was just in the doldrums. So, you know, people weren't, I don't think we're ready for, for example, a movie about adults in a Friday the 13th movie, you know, um, the whole idea of, you know, bringing this whole backstory. I think now people are much more open to it because you see like Marvel movies and serialized television. It's normal now to have like, you know, something come out and be like eight parts and have all these, you know, subplots and backstories <laughs> and characters. But yeah. back in 1993, people, you know, I don't think people were quite ready for it. So it's kind of fascinating too to look at 
where Jason Goes to Hell kind of places within just the overall evolution of the horror genre itself. At that yeah, because there's also a lot, lot of, there's not only to other Friday 13th movies, but a lot of references to other horror movies in general. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh-huh. Now, everyone yeah. does that, you know? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's well, weird I mean, now for a movie. I don't, go ahead. No, no, no. I, please finish the thought because I, because it's, oh, it's right on yeah, the money. I, I don't know. And, and, yeah, no, I, I, you can probably speak more. I was just thinking, Adam, because you know you actually make films. Um, you know, is, is it rare nowadays for a studio or a distributor, whoever is funding a movie, to not expect you to have a plan for sequels and to expand the universe? I mean, is it rare just to say, someone to say, you're going to make one movie and that's all it's going to be, and we're not thinking about how to franchise it? Does that make sense? No one in the no one in the studio system will ever be involved with a horror movie that's a one off. It doesn't exist. Um, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you obliterate the villain at the end, they will somehow find a way. I mean, the fact that, you know, they're making don't breathe too. Um, it, it, it flat out tells you where we are with this stuff. Um, because the blind Marine is somehow going to find the girl again. Um, it's, it's, but this, but this is, this is the world we live in. And guys, you know, with the conjuring franchise with all this, look, you have to remember, you know, scream comes out just a couple of years after Jason goes to hell. And by the way, I was offered Scream before Wes came on board. Um, mm-hmm. That came to me through my agent. And, uh, and I'm telling you, like, th- there was something that happened right after Jason Goes to Hell where suddenly everything was meta, everything was self-referential, everything included mm-hmm. other references. And, you know, uh, and look, uh, luckily, you know, I have filmmaker friends <laughs> who look back on Jason and they, and they flat out say to me, they're like, no, I cribbed a bunch of stuff in that movie. And my response to it is, yay, like, awesome. That was the whole point. And yeah, I yeah. mean, Neil, you're 100% right. Look, you know, the, the, the Freddy thing is what everybody, you know, remembers the most, of mm. course, as they should, to the end of that movie. By the way, New Line did not ask for that scene. That is not a New Line scene. That's a me scene. Um, that is truly me sitting around my apartment with my two roommates. One was my co-author. The other one was the, was the assistant editor, Sean Cunningham's son, Noel. And they were high to the bejesus, and I was straight because I've always, I've never, I've never gotten high, and uh, and I was going, guys, how do I get more cool referential stuff in the movie? We're coming up with gags, and then I said, well, he's going to hell at the end of the movie. You know who's in hell already? Um, doesn't New Line own Freddy outright? Like nobody else has the rights to Freddy. And next thing you know, I'm, you know, I'm running. Sorry, don't worry. Okay, I just turned it off. Sorry about that. Don't worry. Next thing you know, I'm Sounds running to the phone to call uh, to call Mark Rodesky and Mike DeLuca at home, mind you, to say, hey, um, can I have Freddy? You know? <laughs> so, yeah, there's Freddy in the movie, which is awesome, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a great ending. But, you know, the Evil Dead thing, look, I didn't have the rights to the Evil Dead franchise. And New Line didn't have the rights to Evil Dead franchise. So I knew I had to be sneaky about it. And my whole basis for Jason at that point was Jason is a deadite. I went around saying it all the time. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't say it in interviews because I didn't want to get us in hot water. I didn't want to get us sued. But, you know, I'm, I'm the guy who went to Sam Raimi. Can I have this thing? Can I have the Necronomicon? And that's there for re- It's not like I just put that shit in there. I put it there for a reason. So, yeah, you know, Neil, you're 100% right. It was, it was about referencing other things because I thought 
isn't it more interesting if all of these monsters live in the same world? Doesn't that make it a much more interesting world? And by the way, you also can remember, you know, the Creighton Duke character for me is my favorite character in the movie. It's, it's, it is, I love that guy. And for me, I was like, wouldn't it be awesome to have a Creighton Duke series where he's going after your favorite serial killers? Because the, the one problem I have with, with these franchises, and, and Peter and I have actually talked about this at length, but one of the problems that I have is I actually think a lot of these movies stop being horror movies. Because in a horror movie, you're not supposed to side with the shark. Because if you're siding with the shark, it's not scary anymore. Now it's an adventure film. Now it's an action film. And so nobody watched Jaws and said, man, I hope that shark eats Chief Brody. <laughs> no one did, ever. And it's why that movie is still scary today. But you get to Friday 13th Part 3, everybody's siding with Jason. And mostly because on so many, so many times they would make these characters sort of expendable. They would make them unattractive. I don't mean physically. They were always attractive physically. But they would make them characters that you kind of wanted to see get killed. Mm-hmm. And I understand that for some characters, I understand that that's fun and that you want to have that fun. Absolutely. But how is that scary? Like, I'm not, if I'm not worried for the character, then why do I care if they get killed? And so Jason Goes to Hell, much to what Peter said earlier, was about adult characters because guess what? I was a young adult. I wasn't a teenager anymore. So am I going to go make fun of teenagers and slaughter them off, or am I going to talk about real people whose lives get interrupted by this freight train of horror? And look, I, look, you know, Jason Goes to Hell uh, got better reviews than a lot of the Friday 13th movies. Um, no one ever really talks about that, but I mean, we got a great review in the New York Times, for, the God, for God's sakes. And what kept coming up in the reviews was that this movie is actually frightening. Well, for a guy making a horror movie, there's no greater compliment in the world than this movie is actually frightening. And it's because you didn't know where the, where the monster was. You didn't know where it's coming from, which by the way is complete. I know everybody loves to go like, this is a ripoff of the hidden. I didn't know the hidden when we made this movie, I found out about the hidden and then went, Oh my God, it's so much like the hidden. I want to hang myself. But really what it was, was inspired by John Carpenter's the thing, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. It was the whole idea of like, who goes there and where is the monster? That's much more frightening to me. The fact that it happens to be Jason hiding inside of a new masked thing, another person's flesh is so cool and fun. And I thought like, great, the audience is going to get this. Like they'll totally be on board. He's just, he's just got a different mask on. Yeah. Nope. Nope. They just, a lot of people just wanted that damn hockey mask. That's what they wanted, but I couldn't have the hockey mask. What you said about uh, Creighton Duke right, uh, Duke right there, um, I think that would help um, all the, you know, because there's always talks of, you know, uh, Child's Play versus Hellraiser and all these uh, different things. But all of them would just be the villain versus the villain. So if you did have an established character like that, it would be much easier to make those kind of movies. Sure. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And also, yeah, I want to mention Adam also announced also uh, and a big a big talent credit to his talents is that he made this movie for a very low budget, which was I believe half of what the previous entry cost, and it looks a lot more polished 
And he also answered a lot of questions from the other Friday the 13th series that drove me crazy. It's my favorite, Adam, I got to give you credit. I think it's very clever is how you finally, you know, alerted that everyone is aware of this man who has killed all these people. Because obviously it's like, it's like no one has family members that have died by some massive lunatic. It's like, oh, yeah, there's a legend, Jason. You know, you actually answer that. And you, the first thing you do, I love the news report where you mentioned Jason. He killed all these people. <laughs> You know, I'm, I thought yeah, I'd get credit on that. That's brilliant. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to imagine real life if, like, if, like, some guy killed 100 people at a camp. Like, the <laughs> FBI would have survived that like, like decades ago. Like exactly. Right. It was pretty much like an urban legend up until Jason Goes to Hell. It was never really established in reality, in grounded reality. Like, there was never, you know, documentation or coroner's reports or victim tallies. You know, it was something right. that, right. you know, I, I think really truly realized Jason as a, uh, as an actual figure. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and yes, yeah, and that's great. Yeah. And, and, and if you, if you think about just from the first to the second movie, forget about going past the second movie, because then it just becomes completely illogical. But first, the second movie, you do have to ask because the movies are only a year apart in the, in this very wonky freaking timeline that, 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 that is, that is the Friday yeah. 13th franchise. But from the first to the second movie, who sends their kid to that camp? <laughs> <laughs> and not only in part two, it's a training camp. They're sending like counselors to be trained there. It's not even like this. Right. I wouldn't train at a camp that teaches you how to get slaughtered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, don't worry about those seven kids that got murdered last summer. That's no big deal. Like, what? What? No. Come on, man. It's and 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 it just gets more and more ridiculous with each movie that like nobody's talking about mm-hmm. Jason. <laughs> and by the way, in part uh, yeah, five, yeah, part five, it is established that Jason has had his picture in the newspaper. Yeah, and I always, I always, <laughs> asked, like when I right when I saw part five, which maybe <clears throat> I was like 13, 14, 15 when that movie came out, I watched that movie and I went, okay. What happened to the photographer, and how did they get the film? Because <laughs> that's uh, easily the last picture months. he ever took. Jason's literally yeah. looking in the camera like, hey. Yeah. I'm like, what is this? It was his headshot. Yep, yep, yep. See, I think Edwin said it best. Edwin used the word complicit. And, and uh, yeah. at, at that point, I think that's definitely how it was, is everybody was, was – uh, was so in tuned with the repetition. Well, they became wrestling matches. I mean, it it really was wrestling culture. That's, and, and look, I find that there are definitely some similarities between horror, horror fans and wrestling fans. Mm -hmm. Um, and they meet a lot that that, that group. And the problem is, it's like, yeah, a wrestler, you want to see them come back and come back and come back, especially the evil ones. And evil ones are more fun to play, you know, to watch because they can do anything. The good guys are usually pretty boring. The problem is, you know, there's a reason we all remember Hulk Hogan. There's, there's a reason for that. And Hulk Hogan's one of the great good guys of all time. There's a reason we remember The Rock. Because if you build a good guy as interesting as the bad guy, you get James Bond. And mm-hmm. that was the thing. The Friday 13th franchise, it had one. It had Tommy. And trust me, I wanted Tommy in the movie so bad, guys. Like, I really wanted Tommy to be, to be, to be the lead. Um, and I couldn't have it because we didn't own it. I'm telling you, the number of walls that got thrown in my face every time an idea would come up was like, wait a minute, I can't have Tommy now? 
so it was about building adult characters that you liked as much as Jason. And whether I failed or succeeded in that regard, I know I made people that I really like. Like, I love, you know, as much of a loudmouth as she is, Rusty Schwimmer as Joey B, oh, my God. I mean, that is, that's a complete, fully realized character. It's not just a placard. She's so interesting, and she is ultimately incredibly heroic. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, sorry. Well, there's some great actors in Jake. No, I'm, ex- I'm excited because, uh, you know, in the documentary, be, there's a lot more time to give to the actors because there's there's some great performances and some, and it's hard in horror, you know. I mean, imagine you're coming into like you know the ninth movie of a franchise. Yeah. It'd be very yeah. easy, I think, as an actor to be cynical, like ah, I'm gonna collect my paycheck and it'll help me get a better part. But all these, mm-hmm. I mean, you have like Stephen Culp and John May. I mean, to me, Jason goes to hell. One of the things that might hopefully come out in the documentary as it comes together, you know, is. In many ways, it's about a boy who becomes a man, not to, you know, over, uh, yeah. uh, you know, to overanalyze it. But, uh, you know, that whole movie is about him finally saying, okay, I need to be a, a husband and a father that I've been kind of avoiding. Um, so it yeah. taps into some, you know, real, real stuff. And I think that's kind of been overlooked a bit. You know, when I was talking about Jason and in and up and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, there's actually a real story there. So that's, I think, going to be a lot of fun, too, to talk with the actors about when you do the interviews. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Nick, uh, uh, go on, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I was no, just going to ask uh, Nick about uh, when you started to find the uh, the actors and, and the crew and stuff that were in uh, Jason Goes to Hell. Were they all on board right away about uh, doing the documentary and, and uh, talking about the experience? Well, actually, it's funny that you said that because I was actually going to uh, think about segueing into that. <laughs> um, because um, going back to what Adam had said, um, you know, one and, and what Peter had said about not being able to, you know, give them enough screen screen time and enough dedication and stuff like the previous documentaries was, you know, it made me feel so good. Um, you know, I have a brief story. Like I went to uh, one of the first actresses I reached out to was Catherine Atwood. And, you know, she, she was amazing in the film and she's an amazing person in real life. And she was just so freaking honored because I, she uh, was not involved in the previous documentaries. And so it made me feel so personally good to be able to, you know, sort of put the spotlight on her for a minute and be able to show the love to her because that's really what it's all about because these people did dedicate their time and their energy to making the best product possible, you know? And, um, yeah, a lot of the, most of the actors, you know, were incredibly, you know, receptive. Um, and, and, you know, everybody has been very excited from, from the get go for this thing. And everybody's, you know, been, you know, been on the ride with us and uh you know it's a, a whole assortment of incredible talent from all around the country and you know uh, i i wouldn't have it any other way how yeah, you know, self- are you going i'm sorry oh no i think you know, i think it's kind of underscoring what nick said i mean no there's not a single phoned in performance in this film so again whatever you think about the movie i mean everyone showed up and made you i mean Everyone remembers Joey B and, and uh, Leslie Jordan and uh, Creighton Duke. I mean, there's a kind of, even within horror, these are kind of unforgettable little characters. I think that speaks to the way people, especially younger fans, like the movie so much. Is I, I think it says a lot when people start, you know, doing fan fiction and writing stuff in forms like, you know, what would Creighton Duke be doing now and that kind of stuff. But that doesn't happen unless mm-hmm. you create characters that live beyond just, you know, Jason Fodder. So. And by the way, the, the reason we, you know, the, I think the reason the performances are what they are 
is, and we're going to definitely, you know, I hope to definitely explore this in the doc is, you know, I gave the actors months before the film shot because we, we cast them months in advance because we had to do so many makeup effects on people. So you have to, you know, you like cast them and all that. Um, I said, guys, I'm available. If you want to rehearse, let's rehearse. And truly, we, we created almost like a little theater camp. And I was rehearsing the actors for weeks before we shot anything. Well, that matters. And I, I never understand directors that don't want that time with their actors. Like, that's the actors are your storytelling tools. How do you not give them the opportunity to, to, to make those colors as vibrant as possible in their character choices? And that was that's just my process. I, I, I try to rehearse on every movie a lot um, because I want the performances to be as good as they can possibly be. And most horror movies never get that opportunity to rehearse the actors because I don't think anybody takes the time, like take the time, have the moment with these people because they want to do a great job. Give them the opportunity to do that. An actor gets great if they have the time to craft the character. Mm-hmm. Adam, I think it's important that you mentioned too about you. You know, you, your background in the theater. You know, it's in your blood, and that's yeah. where a lot of the real actors come from. Yeah. Well, and our casting director was a huge Broadway theater casting director, Barry Moss, who also, you know, he mm-hmm. he cast every episode of the Cosby Show. Forgive me, I know we can't talk about Cosby, but he did. You know, he did this remarkable thing for television, <laughs> as well as look. I mean, guys, when we when we did readings at Cunningham Productions, I had people like Charlotte Ray and George Hearn doing table reads for me. These are some of the greatest Broadway actors to live. These are sometime actors. So yeah. You know, there has to be respect for that craft. Otherwise, you're you're not going to you're not going to tell as good a story. Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting. You guys found uh, Brooke Share, who played uh, the baby uh, Stephanie in in the movie. And obviously she's not going to come out and talk about, you know, I remember being, you know, baby in in the film. But it'd be be interesting to see, like, how that affected her life, you know, being in uh, in Jason Goes to Hell at such such a young age. Well, you know, it's also she'll probably be in there because she shows she's normal. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, 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 no. Brooke Shear's uh, grandfather made "I Spit on Your Grave." Yeah, yeah. So she is horror lineage. So <laughs> yeah, she is yeah. steeped in horror. Um, and I've I've known Brooke most of her growing up. Uh, thank God for Facebook. Actually, it's how she was able to contact me um, when she was a teenager. And talk like for me, I'm so glad to see she's okay. Because I felt so bad every day that I put her in the movie. I was like, I'm terrorizing a baby. And, <laughs> and, and what's awesome is, you know, when we first started shooting, you know, uh, I did not know this. But here's the thing. When babies, before they're six months old, they, 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 will, they just laugh and poo and do their thing. They just, they're just too busy pooping to, you know, to deal with you. Um, so they're just adorable and they're fun and they don't, they don't really get spooked. The minute they become six months old, they know who mommy is and it's all that matters. So suddenly they start screaming at everything. The minute you take them away from mommy, they're screaming. Well, we, we shot with Brooke when she was five months old. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Um, we shot with her when she was five months old. And the first month of shooting with Brooke, I'm telling you, I could have run at her with an ax and shoot him like, <laughs> Um, we hit six months in the big scene in the Voorhees house. And my poor brother, Kip, had to, you know, in one shot, and it's in the movie, had to terrorize her with the demon creature coming out of his mouth 
trying to go into the baby's mouth. We gave Brooke the the demon to play with. She was fully like she was playing with it like a toy. I mean, it was hilarious. <laughs> the minute we took Brooke away from her mother to put her on the table so that Kip could do the shot, and again, Kip is Gucci Gucci going between takes, but trying to stay in character as this villain. Um, the baby starts screaming, crying. My brother at the end of the take walks over to me. He has tears streaming down his face. He's like, never make me do that again. I'm like, I got you, man. I totally, <laughs> the shot's incredible <laughs> in the movie. And by the way, but I, but I, you, you feel like as a director, you're like, am I scarring this baby for life? No. <laughs> when, when, when your grandfather is the guy who made, who made, uh, uh, uh I spent in your grave, uh, there's nothing I can do to, to make things worse. So what's the experience like, Adam? I, I know you've talked about the movie for years anyway, in interviews and stuff, but to, yeah. to go back and, you know, do like a full length documentary and, and you're going to, you know, talk to, to these, the people that were in it. Uh, what's well, that whole experience like for you? Um, it's, I, I gotta say, it, uh, I wouldn't be involved in it. Um, if it weren't for, um, the, the other guys on the call right now. And, and I got to tell you the fact that the fact that Peter said yes to Nick and I about this, the fact that he said, yeah, I, I'm going to come and play in your reindeer games, um, was so extraordinary to me because I was like, okay, now I have an independent voice. <laughs> I've got a guy, got a guy who really knows his stuff. And that was super exciting. But then getting Edwin on board, I was like, okay, <laughs> I have an experienced filmmaker. I have a great documentarian who knows how to make this kind of movie. Because here's the thing, Neil, for me, look, <laughs> I am Teflon at this point. I mean, I have had people threaten me with ass cancer. Um, people, have told me I've, people have told me I've raped their childhood. Um, uh -huh. There was a guy literally yesterday who said Adam Martin should be kept 500 yards away from anything Friday the 13th related. Um, uh, well, Adam, I, I can help I, you get a PSA. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I, but here's the thing. Adam Marcus reads mean tweets. <laughs> yes. It has, and by the way, and by the way, like it used to actually look and any artist who says it doesn't affect them is a liar. Mm -hmm. um, at first, you're like, wow. The, the, the level, by the way, the level of love has been incredible. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. But everybody knows, every, every <clears throat> director, every actor knows, you can get 100 rave reviews. It's the one bad one that you remember verbatim. And so when you've got this kind of, um, of um, targeted material that I have listened to over the years, man, that is tough. That is tough to do. And I will say now, like, I actually find it more incredible when someone gets creative with their nastiness. Um, someone, someone recently called me, I am to the Friday the 13th franchise, what Rian Johnson is to the Star Wars franchise. <laughs> and, hey, and I wrote hey. back, I actually, I wrote back to the guy and I said, I don't know whether to slap you or give you a kiss on the mouth. <laughs> Because I think Rian Johnson's awesome. So I'm like, okay. I, great. Thank you. I'll take the, I love when people go like, it's the Halloween three of the franchise. I'm like, I really like Halloween. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> and like, yeah. yeah. Everybody kind of does yeah. because it's a really cool story. And by the way, it's what John Carpenter wanted for the franchise. John Carpenter didn't, didn't want 
10 movies with, a, with Michael Myers. He didn't want that. He didn't, know, he didn't want to do part two. He hated part two. And now John Carpenter is, is a guy who really likes money. And God bless him. He should get as much as he can possibly get. So he should do that. But look, guys, you know, Sean Cunningham didn't want to make a movie about Jason. He thought that was a stupid idea. Quote, unquote, mm-hmm. that's the stupidest idea I ever heard. He hated the sack. He hated the mask. He did not want to make Jason movies. He wanted to make horror movies about awful things that happen on Friday the 13th. He wanted to do a sequel about a different Friday the 13th. He wanted it just to be, this is the unluckiest day of the year. That was his whole idea. And so I look, how is it like reliving this? Bittersweet. Because I got to tell you, when I get on the phone with Howard Berger and talk for an hour about, you know, what we did together, when I can be sitting talking with Robert Kurtzman, who to this day is one of my best friends, we've been, you know, close for 27 years now. Um, when I get to, you know, get Catherine Atwood or Michael Silver or Rusty Schwimmer or John LeMay on the phone and we're just talking and hanging out and it's like that. That summer we shot this movie, it was summer camp. Like, we had a great time. I loved my crew. I loved my cast, with very few exceptions. And we had an amazing time. There is a shark in the water who, you know, who's been circling my life, and that is, you know, Sean. And, um, and that's where more of the, of the pain of this all comes from. It's, you know, fans are going to be fans. Haters are going to hate. I'm getting so Taylor Swift. Um, but... I feel like uh, when you have a family that you can go back to and, and relive some of this stuff. And I really do feel, I feel that way about this cat. They were like a family. They were incredible. I adore that. And so, um, so it's awesome to, to, to explore that with them. It is not as awesome to explore the love hate relationship. My audience has with the movie, but you know what? Okay, cool. Let's do it. Let's get it on. And it, one of the stories that I always talk about, that I, that, that, that for me sums up my experience on Jason goes to hell and sums up my gratefulness to my fans. Um, the same day that Jason goes to hell came out, a little movie called searching for Bobby Fisher came out same day. And I had seen Jason goes to hell so many times with so many audiences in so many venues. I was like, Oh, I just can't watch this movie again. I can't do it tonight. Uh-huh. So I paid for a ticket for Jason goes to hell. And my wife and I went in to see Searching for Bobby Fisher. So I was like, yeah, you know, Sir Ben Kingsley and Joe Montaigne and Joan Allen all day long. Uh-huh. And if you remember, Searching for Bobby Fisher is written and directed by Stephen Valiant. So the guy who brought us Schindler's List, I mean, this is a great filmmaker. And I sat in that theater so removed from all things Jason Voorhees and watched this movie, The was Little Chess Champion. And I loved it so much. It's such a fine, beautiful, wonderful film. It's an extraordinary movie. Um, when was the last time you heard anybody talk about searching for Bobby Fisher? Mm-hmm. But people talk right about now? Jason Goes yeah. to Hell all the time. Right. <laughs> and I well, go, it's so funny. Little... Oh. Yeah. No, no please. No, please. No, I, I just, I, I don't even remember, Adam, but we were at a convention years and years ago, I think right after the book came out. And I, 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 we were in the back room and we were chatting about something and someone said something there about, you know, God, you know, something about horror fans or something. And I said to you, I don't know if you remember, I said, you know, 
Ordinary People is an amazing movie, but there's not Ordinary People conventions, but there's still Friday the 13th convention. I don't know if you remember, remember that. It's so funny. I do you remember right. that. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the same exact song. It's weird because, you know, yeah, it's strange. And you don't, you don't hear people talking about part seven that much. Um, you don't, you don't hear a lot of discussion about part three, by the way, these are terrific movies. I grew up in these movies. I love these movies, Mm -hmm. but I think the divisiveness is part of the thing that gives this thing life is that there are people still debating it and talking about it angrily at times, which is great. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. Look, I kind of hate what's happened to film in general in that, you know, (laughs) we're being driven out of theaters because if you're not a blockbuster, you can't get an audience. We're all going to a small screen, which we watch at home in our living rooms because we've all got stereo sound and beautiful screens and everything else. But we're losing that connectivity to each other that happened in the dark while you all sat there and had a, a, you know, a joint nightmare together, which was, you know, in, in a horror movie. And I feel like that's such a shame that we're losing that. If this movie, along with many others, but if this movie can be some small part of people having a conversation and having an opinion and getting crazy, great. It just means people are actually talking to each other, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, uh, just a couple weeks ago for Friday the 13th, uh, a local theater here, uh, they showed two Friday the 13th films outside in the woods by a cabin, by the yeah. way. And it was, yeah. it's just a great time. It was freezing out. It got down to 40 and it's been hot besides that, but I had a, it was a great experience. Awesome, dude. That's yeah. great. Love that. Well, exactly. The whole other discussion, but I, mean, I definitely feel like the movie industry has destroyed movies in a weird way. I mean, it's fragmented everything. Like you said, destroyed the movie theater going experience. And now there's 5,000 channels. You can stream anything you want, but there's, has, there's no water cooler moments anymore. I mean, no one ever watches anything nope. at the same time anymore. Um, yeah, and, you know, because I mean, Friday Thirteenth is something we all, even if you don't know what, even if you've never seen one, everyone knows what it is. It tapped into the culture, and I don't know if things still can do that the way they did back then. Um, exactly. You, know, you, you don't, you don't hear, you don't the, hear people. Go ahead. Hmm? Go ahead. You were. Huh? Oh, I was saying, you know, Jason Voorhees is one of the most recognizable pop culture icons in the entire universe. And you would be remiss to go anywhere, anywhere um, and ask somebody or show somebody a picture and not know, you know, and, and that, that's the reason why, you know, you know, Adam was saying about, you know, people don't talk about part seven or they don't talk about part four, but they do talk about this. And, you know, there's there's evidence and there's reason behind it. And that's why, you know, there, there's a reason behind when we announced this documentary, why it's been covered in over 15 different countries. You know, people all over the universe are wanting this. And, you know, it's, it's just incredible. Well, I'll tell you a short little story. I don't think I've ever mentioned this before, but when I started the book, um, we went to every publisher, my old agent, and uh, everyone turned us down. They're like, there's not enough of a market for like this. <laughs> <laughs> coffee table book. Um, so I started doing it myself. I think I spent two years on my own, you know, on my own dime, just doing it on spec, I think it's called. And uh, it wasn't until I actually, we actually pre-sold 5,000 copies of Amazon in literally like a week that Titan Books then came on and said, oh, like we get it now. Like people have always underestimated um, this series. Like I don't think people, I, that was my whole point was like, 
everyone knows who that hockey mask is. It doesn't matter if you've never seen one of these mm-hmm. movies. You show that hockey mask and some blood in any country in the world. And I don't think it's hyperbole, but um, everyone knows what that – it stands for something. It's a brand almost. It represents something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So – well, um, Pete, uh, Peter, I, what was it specifically about uh, Friday the 13th that had you so interested? Well, I, I think I probably like Adam and Edwin and, and Nick, you know, I mean, I grew up on these movies. I mean, it's the big three for me were Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Friday the 13th. And I think most kids growing up in that era can say the same thing. But what I was fascinated about Friday the 13th is unlike Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street, no critics came out in support. I mean, this was like the bastard son of hard uh-huh. franchise maniac. So everyone, you know, <laughs> it's true. it really is. That's yeah. what it is. And, um, yeah. it was a different and, time. Like, Halloween, yeah. Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street. They had a lot, they had enough press. I mean, enough people wrote about them. There was articles about them, but Friday 13th was like, aside from Bangoria, there was like nothing. It was like, when I started the book, it was like a voyage of discovery, like almost the letter, except for a few people, I remember when I first got in touch with like Amy Steele and stuff, she's like, she's like, people care about Friday the 13th. Like, I think a lot of the actors, I don't know how you felt about Adam, but like most of them thought like people forgot about this. I don't think they realized, like now everyone knows with the conventions and things, but you know, this is back in 2002 before Freddy versus Jason kind of, you know, came out. Everyone was just more mystified. They're like, you want to, they, they're like, okay, I'll talk about this. They thought it was kind of funny that like anyone was yep. asking them about Friday the 13th part seven. Um, so, I, yeah, so I definitely think after, I don't know, I guess it was around Freddy versus Jason that time that started to come back and the conventions and things. But for a good, I think, 10 years, this was like, this was something that people did not want on their resume. I think people forget that now. But when you were yep. a kid in the 80s, you definitely knew that, like, I remember, you know, Cisco and Ebert and the Catholic <laughs> League, League of Decency, like, this is going to rock your mm-hmm. world and turn you into a serial killer. I mean, this was really bad stuff. So that's kind of what oh, yeah, I mean. Was, had, I left I got, we got a, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your budget. I have to no, agree no, on that completely, Peter. Absolutely. It's like years ago, I loved horror films, and people who liked horror films were always known as like the, the semi weird people. I'm not going to say they're weird, but yeah. by, the, by, mm-hmm. the general, by the general population. And, you know, oh, if you like horror movies, you must be into the devil. You know, that was, it was the, the, the yeah. era of the Titanic <laughs> panic and everything. And people yeah. don't realize this. And now movies like these have become mainstream. We have people. Embracing geek culture, like you know, dressing Jason and it's accepted, and it's not like people. Oh, if you see a horror movie, you're not a serial killer. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. I mean, it really yeah. was a different yeah. time back then. Yeah. And because you can times, go into Walmart now and buy, you know, uh, uh, mm-hmm. shirts with uh, horror. You can buy zombie shirts. You can buy Jason shirts, even for like kid sizes. It's uh, totally different from when I was yeah. a kid. Oh yeah, yeah, and and well, and, yeah. and and to, and to, and to go on what what Peter was saying about how the actors would hide stuff on their resume because they were embarrassed by it. I, I'll never forget back in 1994, I was watching the O.J. Simpson trial, and they had Tracy Savage as one of the people because she was a reporter testifying mm-hmm. on it, and they used, oh, she was an actress in Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. And, you know, they were trying to use this to make it look like she was a really sleazy person. And, like, you know, she's, you know, not to be trusted. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> but they actually you know, you on know TV sure. showed a clip from Friday the 13th Part 3. I, I actually, yeah. um, I think that the dividing line, I think when it, when, it, when it really changes, is not just when you've got the stuff in the, in, you know, in, in the stores that, that is merch, merch and all that good stuff. I think when you see entire Facebook pages dedicated to 
hot girls dressing as Jason and Freddy. <laughs> <laughs> That's different from my That's, era, my friend. I didn't see any hot girls but, dressing right? into Jason. Right? Right? Yeah, right. Like, girls, like, I didn't see any girls at all. And you know what's so funny about that? And this is really true. Our audience has always been female-centric. Always. Oh, really? No one taught. Yep. More women see yep, horror absolutely. movies than men, and they always have. And there's a whole uh, series of psychological reasons why that's true. But it's extraordinary because people don't think about it. Like, you don't think the chicks are going to, like, dig this stuff. And, man, I'm telling you, my some of my best fans, some of the people that I spend the most time interacting with online are women who love these movies and love Jason. They love it. And I'm like, you do know there's a guy who just hacks women to pieces, right? <laughs> But there's something well, about it. There's something magnetic about it. Well, you know, you, you, you look at all the fun girls. I mean, I, I don't want to overstate it, but these are, in many ways, they are women's pictures in the sense that it's about a woman mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. triumphs over adversary, adversary, ad, adversity in some way. Like, you look at Laurie Strode, she's this shy, meek, kind of repressed yep. girl who learns to confront evil. And, you know, obviously she goes through problems in the later movies. But, you know, it's a very empowering mm-hmm. thing, you know, by being smart. Yes. Yeah. Um, and where and self-reliant, that's how you defeat evil and you, you know, find your place in the world. I mean, it's, yeah. again, you know, there's still horror movies, but that's ultimately what the final girl is about. <clears throat> well, and look, yeah. let's, and, and if you look, if you look at specifically Jason Goes to Hell, you know, it's a movie that was a lot more woke uh, than yeah. people at first realized. And it freaked people out to some extent, but there is definitely a... Um, a different cast of characters being represented in a different way. And the fact that there's as much male nudity as there's female nudity, because I came at it going, wait a minute, there are more women who see our movies. Why are we mm-hmm. not showing dudes? Like, let's mm-hmm. show, some, show some dudes. <laughs> and the ladies appreciate it. The dudes. By the way, some yeah. of the dudes appreciate it. And God bless them, too. I mean, it's, you know. It's, hey, I mean, whatever gets it, your rocks off. Well, and here's the well, thing. Yeah, I mean, it is the first... It's the first Friday Thirteenth movie with you know what can be considered some man on man action. Uh-huh. And true. by the way, a lot of the fan base is more freaked out by that than anything <laughs> else. Yeah, I laugh, but that I know that's the fact from being uh, yeah. doing the show. And I remember when uh-huh. there was a, the first male and male kiss in Walking Dead comic book, and I remember a caller on the show. He was all like. I was like, so you're fine with like people getting their brains eaten out and stuff, but these two right, guys yeah. kissing—that's where you draw the line. It's very, very yeah. bizarre. Well, and you know what? Okay, cool. Like, yeah. We're, we're saying this is a question I'm going to pose to you, Adam, and, and some of the actors in the interviews. Is I really think of the scene with Creighton Duke and uh, John LeMay with the fingers. I think that's a, a seduction yeah. scene. So it, it, and I it, think that it 100% that is. Is a lot more than yeah. It, 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 you're 100% right. And when Steven and I were, were talking, when we were on set um, and we were working out the scene and I put my hand through the bars for him to grab the hand. And he said to me, he said, you know, how are you with, you know, with, he says, we're doing this is a prison scene. How are you with me caressing him like a lover? And I looked at Steven, I was like, dude, you are, you are dangerous and awesome. Because he, he was, he was, he was an actor who was like, who's like, I want to really play this a little differently. And I was like, I am so for this. And John LeMay, God bless John LeMay. Because here's the thing with John LeMay, when I cast John LeMay, 
the character was written in a way that he was kind of a, a, a jackass in that he hadn't grown up yet. Peter's 100% right about the idea that this was a coming-of-age story because he was supposed to be sort of just a ne'er-do-well, just a kind of a, a town idiot. John wanted to, uh, you know, I wanted him to play it like Bruce Willis and Die Hard. John wanted to play him. And so we bumped a couple times on that, really trying. I was like, John, you got to lighten it up, Francis. Like, we're... We're making a horror movie. I, no Shakespeare around here, dude. And uh, and I'm telling you, when it came to stuff like Stephen Williams, you know, saying, "Hey, I'd like to do this this way," and I was like, "I'm all in." I turned to John. I said, "How are you with this?" He's like, "Adam, I love this. Like now, it's now I feel like it's really about something." I'm like, "Great." So there was discovery where again I let my actors kind of lead me a little bit. Where it's like, and again. I, I don't understand directors that don't want their cast to contribute to the storytelling. And, you know, look, the world I grew up in, as Edwin was talking about earlier, you know, I was a theater kid. Uh, you know, I, I was a New York City, Westport, Connecticut theater gump. And the world that I lived in, you know, they say some people are raised by wolves. I was raised by choreographers. And my <laughs> world looked my world looks like the movies that I make because my movies look like the world I grew up in. And so for me, those kind of, those, those ideas and those storytelling elements, they filter in simply because that's my world. So yeah, you're hundred percent right, Peter, that, 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 that scene is a seduction scene. And there's also sort of an interesting S and M component to it with yeah. him breaking his fingers and enjoying that. I mean, he is definitely a bit of a sadist, there's something really kind of, and the fact that John, that Stephen Freeman keeps shoving his hand back through the bars, um, you know, that's, that's the entire Miyagi Danielson uh, relationship in one seven minute scene. It's also it's somewhat reminiscent of the Sounds of the Lambs, that moment um, when yes. Clarice is outside of Lecter's cage and he kind of touches her finger and you get that sexual charge going there. Oh, you bet. Well, I always think of Silence of the Lambs as an incredible love story. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. totally. I mean, Lester is definitely yeah. in love with her and she's definitely attracted to him. But, um, yeah. Well, I, I, I mentioned something that might be totally off track, but you mentioned Last Jedi earlier, which I thought was interesting because um, I'm not a, I mean, I like Star Wars, but it doesn't mean anything to me personally. So I, I just watch right. those movies as movies and whatever. So I thought Last Jedi, I'm like, yeah, that's fine. But I, I'm not expecting you know, half people I hate it. But one of the things I thought was interesting about that movie is and what people seem to hate the most is the scene with the Yoda. And Luke, where basically Yoda destroys all the Jedi uh-huh. books or something, and they says, "Okay, you know, you have uh-huh. to grow up now and move beyond this stuff." And I think there's a little bit of that in Jason Goes to Hell in movies like that, where you're basically telling, you know, what you can't have the same movie five thousand times. You're, you know, you can't. Yeah, we can't take you back when you're ten years old. This is a movie about a guy growing up. Like a lot of people react from that because they they want the old Jason where it's tits and ass and it's made for straight guys. And everything's mm-hmm. easily explainable, adjustable, like a Big Mac. And anytime you, anytime you break away from that, that's threatening some, to some fans, I think. Not all of them, but some people. And I think that's I why agree. that must be part of the device in this for the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could be talking I about totally. up my ass. That's just a thought, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a question for Edwin. Um, because yeah. uh, uh, Adam had mentioned earlier about, you know, you know, it's not going to be a fluff piece. It's going to be a documentary about uh, the polarization of the movie, you know, to people. So w- when you're actually um, interviewing people that might not be a fan of Adam, 
or they have stories that aren't, uh, you know, uh, aren't positive towards them. Is Adam involved in that at all, or are you going to be doing all that yourself or with your well, friends? Well, I uh, I have been a, a special features director for about 10 years, you know, doing a lot of making up documentaries on many Blu-rays you might have seen. In fact, Peter and I first came acquainted on Urban Legend, and we did Valentine. And the one thing that we learned, when you're, the good thing about us is time, because no one can really be honest when a movie is made, whenever you see an EPK of something that just came out, everyone is going to puff it up and make it look great, you know, because who's going to want to sabotage their own movie when it's out. However, after the years start to go away, people can be more honest. And when you're making a film, it's an adventure. It's an adventure. It's, it's, it's really like a family. It's sometimes dysfunctional. People don't get along, you know, but over the years past, people can be honest about their feelings. And I don't like puff pieces. So we're going to be as honest as we can. I'm going to have everything in there. People saying, oh, Adam was terrible. He was a douche or whatever. And then I'm going to have Adam respond because it's only fair. But I do not like puff pieces because my thing is this. You already saw the movie. You're watching our movie because you, you, you're, you're interested in it. You, you drank the Kool-Aid. I don't have to convince you that it's a great movie. And that's that's a really good thing about this piece is we're going to be able to be honest and we're going to we're going to cover everything warts and all. In fact, I think a very important thing to cover is the audience reaction to this film. As we were talking about earlier, a lot of people who were diehard fans did not like the movie, mm-hmm. but a lot of non fans liked the movie. And that's the reason that we're still talking about it today. That's why it's relevant. Like I, I, I wasn't a fan of Last Jedi, to be fair. But I, I guarantee people are going to be talking about it for a long time because of that. And mm-hmm. that's part well, of the popularity forget, of the movie. People forget that Empire Strikes Back was very divisive at the time. We didn't have the internet, so people forget. But one thing that, right. that um, is, you know, having uh, done a lot of, I mean, Edwin's done more documentaries than me, but having done the book and stuff, and done a lot of interviews, um, uh, 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 Adam is not allowed in the interview. So, you know, it's going to be mm-hmm. us right. folks like, yeah, so people get the freedom to do it. Yeah. And uh, there's a book that actually that was a big influence on Chris Lake's memories called um, Live from New York. It's an oral history of Saturday Night Live. And Lauren Michaels actually put that together and said, okay, he hired these two guys, go write the book um, and talk to everyone. And I'm never going to look at it. I don't get any involvement in it. So I think, you know, anyone who's concerned that it's just going to be, you know, a puff piece, you know, this is a documentary that's funded by the fans. It's not funded by us. You know, Adam and no one else right. paying for it. The fans are the ones that are, you know, so this is made for them. And I think they want the real story. They don't want, again, you know, just sort of some fawning, you know, vanity piece. That's yeah. not what this is going to be. And so there, there yeah. might be some tough moments, but, you know, ultimately, you know, that's, I think, the guiding principle. Um, yeah, behind yeah. I think that I makes- mean, that's the one thing. Yeah, we were also the one thing advantage is that we're doing it independently. We're not having to deal with a, you know, a major studio or anybody telling us what we can and cannot talk about. We're going to have a well-rounded piece. We're even going to talk about the critic, the reviews that people didn't like it that Adam mentioned yeah. earlier, because it's important, you know, not everything is yeah. well, wine and roses, as they say. Yeah. Well, and too, exactly. I mean, we want everybody to know that this is for the fans and by the fans. Yeah. And, you know, and, and honestly, it's just Friday things. Nothing we're talking about is news to anyone. Everyone knows that critics hate these movies. Everyone knows these movies were devices and, you know, it's not like you're suddenly pulling the curtain back on like ET and me finding out, you know, you know, everyone hated each other. You know, it's not going to, sh- I don't think, uh, the concept no, of anything we're talking about. 
Mm. I agree with yeah. you on that. It's not going to be like all negative, like, oh, everybody hates you. I don't want to do that either. I just want sure, to tell sure. it like it really was. And one thing that mm. I think Peter will agree with me on this, even Adam, and I think all you guys agree on this, even people who do not like Jason Goes to Hell watch it every year when they do their marathon and they have it in their collection <laughs> because they don't see it <laughs> yeah, as one of the movies because they don't like it. I don't like part five, but I know people who love part five. But you know what? Yeah. If I'm watching all the Friday 13 movies, I have to watch it because it's part of the series. Yeah. Oh, and, and by the way, speaking of which, hating it. Yeah, and speaking of which, like one. Like if... yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Go, no, you go, go ahead. Peter. I would say even documentaries, I, I mean, even movies I hate, like, um, I'll love the documentary about them because I want to learn why people made right. the decisions they made, you know? So I think it's about illuminating and understanding the process and it's not trying to you know, convert people because I think it's impossible. Yeah. You, know, you can't I, tell someone to fight. I was going to say, cause I don't, I don't really like a nightmare on Elm street part two, but I think that section is the best part of the never sleep again documentary. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Right. Right. Yeah. But by the way, yeah, and speaking it, of part yeah. five, Part, speaking of part five, one of the things that I that, that that I was really excited about was this idea of sort of toxic fandom, and and sort of the, the craziness of all this. One of the people that we're interviewing is Deborah Voorhees from Part Five, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. has a very kind of interesting window into this whole thing. So we're even going a little outside the film to bring people in to comment on the film and on the reaction to the. I mean. Deborah's movie, you know, part five is, is as the vice of the Jason goes to hell. Well, it's interesting so, too, with this new generation of fans, like, I don't know how you guys feel, but I mean, I, we grew up, I grew up in there, there was no internet. So yeah. like you had to search out information on, on movies and making of stuff. And there was a sense of, I, I wasn't saying sense of ownership. I feel like nowadays people feel like they're entitled that they're owed something by these movies. So I think it can kind of gear into that sort of toxic fandom, as you say, um, but of course that's probably subject for a whole nother documentary, but <laughs> I think there definitely seems to be more possessiveness these days around mm-hmm. content. Like look at game of Thrones. I didn't see it, but uh, I mean, yeah, people are like, sure. oh, wait, <laughs> yeah. it's like you killed a dog or something. Like, uh-huh. like, look, what, look what's going on with the Joker and, uh, and them keeping the press out of the screenings and uh, the, the, the possible violence that will be uh, incited yeah. because of it and all that. I mean, yeah. You can't please everybody. If everybody liked every single thing yeah. about, about your movie, yeah. then we would really live in a crazy society. Yeah. Not yeah. everyone is going to love what you do. The, the yeah. goal is to win as many people as you can. And I think that that's, that's a success. These days, and one thing I want to say about the Five the Thirteenth series, it's amazing how popular the series still is. Even though you know, just think about it. Okay, the remake, which, by the way, I'm not going to say anything about my thoughts about the remake, what I thought of it. But think about it. That movie <laughs> opened at forty million dollars mm-hmm. just on the title alone. No yeah. one talking about if it was good or bad. That's unheard of. And look at the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. That went for, made a lot of money. And the Texas Chainsaw remake that first mm-hmm. came out, that made, they were number one at the box office in the, like uh, over 30 million, some of these films, 40 million. It's mm-hmm. amazing that people are still talking about these films today. Just think about the box office of that film, of, of the remake, made more than some of the, all the films combined, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look at the new so I was not expecting Yeah, Halloween is a perfect example of that. Think about it. And what's so funny yeah. is, if you look at it, they did the Halloween H2O 20 years ago, like basically <laughs> their new Ruby with the yeah. original actress. 
It didn't yeah, do that well. But look yeah. at this one. 20 years later, it's a massive success. I mean, unbelievable success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it shows you the well, horror. Horror in general, the, 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 the genre has, has, uh, has come out of the closet and it's, it's no longer this, you know, it's not this thing that studios keep hidden anymore. They realize, oh, this is where our money is. It's, it's, it's giant superhero movies and horror movies. That's where people want to be. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, look at the actors now. Before it was a blight. Now every actor wants to be in a horror movie. I mean, who yeah. doesn't? You have A-list people want to be in horror movies. It's not a stigma mm-hmm. at all. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, I, yeah it's I, amazing. Because think about it. Paramount, not to go into anything, but Paramount, don't forget, was really embarrassed by the success of Friday the 13th. And that's why New Line bought, were able to buy the rights for very little. They sure were. Now I know they, they probably sure regret were. that decision because they, uh, you know, now look at it, $40 million in one weekend, even though, you know, less about that, the better, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But it's changed a lot. I mean, the the studios are now embracing horror, and the fans are as well, and it's really, that is one thing I can say is refreshing in our favor, which I hope will do well, not to go on tangent here, but we need to, hopefully that'll help us with our campaign. Mm -hmm. So about the campaign itself, which is launching today, it'll be up uh, when this uh, interview is up, uh, I assume. Um, What are some of the, um, well, first of all, how much are you guys looking uh, to get and where does that money go for people wondering, like, you know, if I uh, give some money, you know, where does this go to make a documentary? Uh, well, I mean, I, I can probably speak to that only because I've been working tirelessly on making sure the campaign is what it is. The film is budgeted at $50,000, which is a modest budget for the amount of interviewing that has to be done, the amount of editing that has to be done. Um, it's, it's actually a pretty, pretty small budgeted feature. Uh, that being said, um, the, the fun of the of the of the campaign is that everything is centering around 13, and it's why we had the 13 day countdown to the mm-hmm. to this to this event. The there are 13 levels of perks. Um, the perks are awesome. We have got such spectacular. We have got fine art pieces that have been created that where only one person can get that perk. Um, oh wow! We've got math being made by one of the most respected mask makers in the entire industry. And he's done 10 masks for this campaign. Um, we've got, uh, you know, Blu-rays, uh, you know, digital downloads, DVDs. We've got all that, all the, all the usual suspects of this kind of campaign, but then a lot of really cool th- incentives like, you know, producer credits and being a part of this movie in a substantive way. Um, and even uh, a top, you know, there's one top, uh, uh, category where you're invited to the premiere of the movie. And I can't say where that is just yet, but it's kind of amazing because the movie has already been asked for at several festivals, um, mm-hmm. sight unseen. They want, it. so this movie is really, it, it, it's got, it's got a pedigree before we even, before we even make the movie, which is so extraordinary to me. Um, because of the years that I've spent in the industry, you know, my last little secret Santa was, you know, was at 22 festivals worldwide, including places like Sitches, uh, you know, which is one of the largest horror festivals on planet earth in Spain and mm-hmm. London Fright Fest and, yeah. you know, Glasgow Fright Fest. And, you know, we've been, uh, look, I, you know, I didn't just stay in horror. I've done other, other genres, other kinds of films. I'm a Sundance filmmaker. I, you know, I've done things where I've been able to have um, enough reach in the filmmaking community that 
when I first brought this up with people, I was thinking like, oh, people are just going to go like, don't do it. Don't make a documentary about this. And to my <laughs> shock, I got the exact opposite reaction. Everybody was like, oh, my God, that's awesome. And I'm like, really? Okay. Because I thought it was kind of awesome. I didn't think you were going to say that. Uh-huh. So that's what's so exciting. It's just there's this this kind of um, excitement about the project outside of the project. So the Indiegogo campaign is really about um, inclusion. There are also a number of perks where people can ask a question that will be asked in the film. Oh, nice. And there's, and there's some perks where fans can actually be in the movie asking their question, where we're actually going to let them on camera ask their question. Mm-hmm. So we're doing, we're doing things that really do allow it to be interactive for the fan base. Yeah, I like it. It's very fun. And uh, th- this time that you guys have had, you know, to talk about the uh, project as opposed to just like use, getting together and making it right away, uh, do you think that, that's going to help the whole project. Cause it seems like you guys talk a lot and there's a lot of chemistry here with everybody. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I mean, my biggest is worry is always like, can we fit all the cool stuff we're talking about in there? Um, the right. cool thing though, you know, about physical copies too, you can add extras and, you know, cut stuff. So I think to me, it's more of an embarrassment of riches of like, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes I've done stuff where you're, you're like, it's strained. If I come up with enough good stuff, I think we have the opposite problem is, a lot of cool yeah, ideas right. and people. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, that's, uh, but part of it, too, I, uh, hopefully, I'd be, I'm sure you all, all agree, is, you know, it's also a voyage of discovery, so no matter how much you try to plan, you can't really totally plan a documentary, mm-hmm. you're always going to discover stuff in interviews, there's always going to be things you didn't think of that pop up, and direction things take you in, so, um, uh, I, I don't think I'm answering the question, but, yeah, so I think, uh, no, I think we have a great <laughs> well, sort of beat on it, and we're so open to where it could take us, you know. Yeah, yeah and then, then don't forget, too, and don't forget, too, the, the previous documentaries, why they were long, you know, let's say, like, five hours, six hours, whatever they were, they're about ten films plus that. So yeah. basically, you're lucky to get about 30 to 40 minutes of material on the film. Don't get me wrong, it was great material. It's a great general overview. But this one, we're going to get into all the nitty-gritty stuff. There's lots of stories to tell. I've already done some interviews. Uh, and let me tell you, I found out some stuff that was pretty cool. Yeah. And it's also going to be great to get other people's reaction to these stories. It's like a he said, she said. I see it this way. It's Rashomon. Mm-hmm. Like with Sean and Adam exactly. talking about yeah. the hockey match. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating because, I mean, oh, as we'll get into the movie, Sean really... I don't know if he, I mean, he's adamant that he said, you know, that that is not what happened with the hockey mask, but, you know, we're, we're going to investigate that more and more. You can hear Adam laughing because he knows exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. Uh-huh. Exactly. Well, I, yeah. I, I, had the same problem, I had the same problem in the book with the original hockey mask in part three. Eight different people had eight different stories and all different people took credit <laughs> for certain things. It was uh-huh. never going to be, unless you had a video camera there at the moment, you kind of just present the different perspectives sometimes. And, right. Uh, Right. Yeah, it's the best you can do. You know, everyone's um, quick to credit. Everyone's quick to credit. Uh, take credit for success. No one is in a hurry to take yeah. credit for failure. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Failures yeah. an orphan. <laughs> but but <laughs> you know, to, to answer your question, no, I, I, I really do. I really do think that it's benefited us um, to to sort of uh, you know keep yeah. keeping everybody apprised of uh, everything that's been going on, and you know everybody has has been so receptive and and so engaging. And everybody just loves, um, you know, um, the 13-day countdown 
is one of those things that I, you know, I was just talking the other day is, is a welcomed rarity um, in, in the, in the crowdfunding community, because people don't really dedicate the time um, to involving people into getting people excited. They just sort of drop the campaign. Um, and that's, you know, that works in certain instances, but with us, you know, from the beginning, you know, uh, I, I just looked back in my Facebook memories the other day, and this all started from me making a simple post who would be interested in seeing a Jason Goes to Hell documentary. And from then, it absolutely blew up. And we are here now, and we are getting ready, and we are on the way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something you're good at, Nick, is uh, is getting uh, the word out about things. You know, that's how I found out about you, how I found out about the documentary. And that's uh, definitely a big plus uh, that for you personally and for the, for the documentary. Totally. Nick is, you know, is an amazing, he's an amazing hype man. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. You know, I I wish like, I wish I could take all the credit, but you know, um, a a tree is only as strong as the branches that accompany it. And, you know, I have an amazing team, you know, led by Adam and Ali and Peter and Edwin and just so many people who have cohesively brought together um, th- these memories for everybody. And it's just something that's so special. And I, I, I can't believe that we are finally about to bring this to, to everybody, you know? Mm-hmm. Thank yeah. you for the that, kind words then. That's very nice of you to say that. Very good. Yes. And, the, Thank you. And, and great artwork, by the way, for, uh, for, for all the stuff that's out there so far. <laughs> well, Oh, that, that, that is, that is all Adam. <laughs> Well, the, the but the poster, the the original, the, the poster design, the wonderful one uh, with the hockey mask and, and the metal glove. Oh yeah, so, so, uh, that's Rod Lang, who is uh, an unbelievable artist out of Germany, who tirelessly oh, yeah. did that poster, and he has done a new one that we're going to be premiering today, along with the campaign. Um, a new poster that is so badass. Uh, specifically made for the campaign that you, you're just not going to believe. Uh, so we're again, and by the way, Rod did this just to do it, just to be part of this project. And again, that's what I'm saying. It's, 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 it's so fan based. This whole thing is about them. Not about me. It's, it's, you know, it's about their love of these movies. Um, Jason goes to hell in specific, but more about their curiosity. You know, we have a, we have a culture now that, that embraces people wanting to know more about how movies are made and how these parts come together. And I'm just, I'm so excited that we actually get to go on this adventure, not just with this team, which is extraordinary. Like we couldn't have better people involved, but that we're actually venturing into this with the fans, that they will be riding alongside of us as we make this happen. Mm -hmm. Do you guys know how long like runtime do you want? Like uh, like a normal feature, like ninety minutes, or is it going to be like a? I don't know. Just how long do you think you you'll make the uh, the actual documentary? Edwin, uh, that's a good question. I don't know yet. I would like to make it. It's definitely going to be feature length. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. It depends. You know, I mean, it depends on what we get. Uh, you know, we we. I'm a person that goes when you make a film, you go with an idea of how you want to tell a story, and you see what you get, and it, you you shape it from mm-hmm. there. So it's good to go in without preconceived notions of how long it's going to be but i will tell you this it's going to cover everything in fact it's going to cover some stuff that has not really been talked about before like you know adam's mm-hmm. original cut of the film which you know sadly you know we, we have not gotten to see it's going to cover <laughs> the fandom it's going to cover 
uh, the controversy with Sean, obviously, the legacy of the people loving the film and hating it, and also being that. Uh, also, one thing I definitely want to talk about is the whole the ending with uh, you know the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street cameo from uh, you know Freddy Krueger, which I will mm-hmm. say to this day. By the way, just to remind everybody, the day that night, uh, sorry, that Jason goes to hell opened was August Friday the thirteenth, nineteen ninety three, I believe. Mm-hmm. So. Um, that day, I saw it in the theater. I have to this day never seen a reaction from any of the people who didn't work that lukewarm on the film. When that ending came up, it got everybody screaming and hollering and excited. Yeah. And yeah. we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about, you know, everything. It's going to be really interesting. I want to talk also about how New Line got the rights, you know, and, and, and the problems were, you know, Adam could not use certain things or what he could use and what he couldn't use. We're, we're going to trust me. We're going to leave. I'm, I'm rambling, but we're going to leave no stone unturned. I promise you. This and, is going to be fan What Peter said earlier is really true because we do have, we, 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 we have things like exclusive Blu-ray and exclusive DVD content where, you know, stuff that doesn't make the cut is still going to be there. People are still going to have access to that material. So even if there's stuff that we have to leave on the cutting room floor because we want to show the film in, at festivals and theaters and whatnot, we're still going to have this opportunity to give the fans all of it. Like here's mm-hmm. all the footage. Yeah. I can guarantee you that. That's true. That's going to be true. I want to make that clear. Cause that's very important point to reiterate. It's this disc. I promise you is going to be packed to the wazoo's with extras because <laughs> I'm a person who started out in the DVD extras business. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know even we're making what is like a feature length documentary, you know, but we're also going to have tons of footage. I promise you it's not going to be just little bits. There's going to be actually segments and, and more details and stuff. We're going to pack this thing until it explodes. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, you know, you, 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 the, the most important thing is, you know, telling a good story, a self-contained story. Yes. And sometimes there's stories that yes. can be great. They just don't fit, like, they're going to kind of do with the book. But, uh, you know, tell the story in the book, and then, oh, if there's a great story, it goes as, like, a caption for a photo. And that's sort of, to me, the equivalent of, like, a DVD extra, Blu-ray extra. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. it just it lives on in its own thing. Because if you try to shoehorn everything in it, Always awkward to me when I see documentaries where, like, you can tell they had a great story and they just didn't want to cut it out, so they shoehorn it in. It doesn't fit into the flow of the yeah. story, and then yeah. it just out of it and distracts you. So, um, but totally. that's a tough call. I mean, that's what I didn't all about. Being a filmmaker is really tough because you have to, even though you might love something, you have to go, okay, it does not fit yeah. in this narrative. I have to think about. Yeah. I love this piece of footage. I wish there was a way I could make it work, but it's just not going to work in this piece. And that's why we have deleted scenes. Uh, I'll give you a perfect example. I was doing a documentary on a movie called The Beast Within. And um, I did an interview with Philippe Moore, who I think is one of the most fascinating people I've ever interviewed. And he told me, you know, there's this very famous, not going to attend it, there's this very famous footage of Hitler in color, you know, where all this footage is color footage of Hitler. You see it mm-hmm. in all these documentaries. Philippe Moore is the one that discovered that. And uh, it's been used in every single classroom. But it, didn't, it was a great story, but it didn't fit the narrative of my story, so mm-hmm. we had to cut it. Mm-hmm. It's Sophie's choice. You have to decide what fits the movie. <laughs> what the movie. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. Uh, here's a dumb idea. We, 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 you could probably on the Blu-ray put 13 levels of Easter eggs. You have 13 hidden Easter eggs. Totally. You know totally. Why not? Why not? <laughs> 13s are, are lucky or unlucky. I love yes. it. I love it, too. I love it. <laughs> thirteen perks, thirteen extra, thirteen extra, thirteen Easter eggs, thirteen chapters. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I stop there. We'll do thirteen discs. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so by the way, so by the way, Neil, to answer your question, the story, the movie will be 
13 chapters long. So I was uh, 17 when the movie came out. It was the summer before I went to, uh, before I started uh, my senior year in high school. And uh, my, I, I told the story when I, when Adam was on before, but my, yeah. uh, when I went to see it, it was, uh, it was this, there was only three people in the, uh, in the theater, but it's more to do where I live, not, not the movie. <laughs> and, uh, it was a very small town. And so it was me and my friend, Joey, who's so friend, friendly. And one other guy yeah, in the in place, guy. and Joey and I were laughing through the movie because we found it. We found it entertaining. And the other guy was pissed the whole movie because we were laughing. And as soon as it was over, he just got up and stormed out of the place. <laughs> but I always remember. Yeah. But my, my view of the movie has changed over time from when I saw it the first time and when I watched it again when I had Adam on a couple of years ago. Uh, my, my view of the movie trains and actually for the better, I enjoyed it a lot more than I did, uh, when I was a kid. And oh, I think man, a lot of awesome. it was Thank to you. do with like what you guys were saying, cause I'd watched all the Friday 13th movies growing up and it was completely different than what I was expecting. But I also think that's why I like it. Uh, I like it so much now is cause it is so much different than what I was expecting. That's all. That's awesome. Thank you, brother. Thank you. I, I, that's really cool. Really cool to hear. Yeah. And it's, totally crazy but i like it <laughs> it's totally crazy yeah it's totally bad crazy, but that's what i like about it yeah it's a good time adam a successful film because people are still talking about it and what more can you say now i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you but i just think that's important no i totally yeah, agree I mean, yeah i mean think about how many movies good movies have been forgotten i mean most yeah. movies are forgotten yeah. I mean, to make any there's, there's whole social media groups dedicated to this one installment. Yeah, it's funny because you guys mentioned Cisco and Ebert, and like I, I like to go back and watch old ones because I grew up with it. So part of it's like it's fun to watch, yeah. and it's just interesting anyway. But uh, there'll be so many movies that were even up for like Academy Awards, and I'll I'll be like, I don't remember this movie at all. It's like from 1982 or whatever, and it's like it's totally yeah. forgotten like in time. Totally but a lot of horror movies lot see, uh, stay with people forever. Yep. Well, I think when you have a powerful it's experience, true. especially when you're young in the, in the movie theater, it just sticks with you. And it, uh, I mean, I still remember waiting in line for two hours to see Empire Strikes Back. I remember the first time I saw Nightmare on Elm Street and the, uh, the heat broke in the theater and we were freezing half from fright, half from the cold. I mean, I, 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 those are indelible images seeing Friday the 13th. And I remember all that stuff. I think that, I think that's really kind of what this is about is, uh, these movies make such an impression that it really touches people. So again, not to overstate it, but uh, so that's exactly what this documentary is for. It's, you know, yeah, people who yeah. are touched by the And I do recommend to watch the. It's on YouTube. The Ebert, uh, Cisco and Ebert uh, review of uh, oh. Friday Thirteenth Part Four, because Ebert <laughs> like. He starts almost cry during the. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to kill the dead, but. And he's like saying, he's like, this is what kids will think life is about. And I was just like, I grew up in that time. I don't think any kids I knew thought no. life was exactly like uh, Friday the 13th Part 4. <laughs> oh, they, they, skewer, they, they skewered them. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, they, yeah. Well, I got to say this about Ebert. I mean, I love Ebert, but don't forget, this is the guy who gave Last House and Left three and a half star review. Right, yeah. and he mm -hmm. hates horror films. And if you ask me, Last House on the Left, which by the way, talked to Saw and S. Cunningham Connection, is a very sleazy, misogynistic movie that's really disturbing, you know. But 
what's interesting is that, you know, he goes on a tangent about Friday the 13th. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, Peter can correct me because he's Mr. Friday the 13th. They actually gave out <laughs> Betsy Palmer's contact information and said contact did. her, and it was totally yeah. reprehensible. That's horrible. Yeah, Gene Siskel did that. Yeah, he he yeah. he gave out Sean's information and Paramount. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And they, they stopped reviewing um, the, the that, if I remember correctly, Peter. They stopped reviewing or doing the video reviews for the for the franchise after something like Part Four because I don't remember seeing any other I, I, I that they uh, ended up covering. Uh, yeah, part five was the last one they did, and they basically just made a joke. They showed the trailer and just laughed at it and didn't actually really review it. They said, oh, <laughs> so that was the last one. Uh, well, and they used to have a segment. How serious they were. Yeah, I mean, they, I think they really believed this was harmful to people, and now it just seems funny. Even yeah. at the time, it seems kind of funny. Like, they really thought that, like, if I saw a certain movie, I was going to go crazy and stab people. <laughs> so I guess yeah. getting benefits out, I guess they were concerned for our welfare, but... Yeah. Right. Yeah, they, I, they, I guess it's the reefer madness effect. <laughs> yeah. 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 They did a special about slashers themselves and like were, you know, just the they slasher did. genre. And I think they also gave out the information for the people who made um, um, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yes, they did. I believe yeah. that's correct. They used to have a show called the Dog of the Week. And they would review a lot yeah. of these films. They would actually take them out, and they'd have like an actual dog that would come out of the street and go, "Oh, it's time for the dog of the week." And of course, yeah. they mentioned the latest slasher <laughs> film, which they probably were watched like ten minutes and walked out. But they would just yeah. need a well, content for their show to rag on. Yeah. What's weird to me though is they gave Halloween four stars, and I mean, honestly, Halloween is, is no different than Friday the 13th. I mean, it might be better shot. But, I mean, it's the same thing. It's young, promiscuous girls being murdered, half undressed, and there's violence and nudity. Like, there really is no difference between Halloween and any other slasher movies other than it might have better production value. But, I mean, in terms of looking well, there's, reality, there's, there's There's one other thing, though, and, 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 and this I'll, I'll give <laughs> somebody I'm talking against myself, but okay. Uh, but I'll give it to Carpenter <laughs> in this. The one thing that I think differentiates Halloween from all the other ones is that you really don't see the kill. You, mm-hmm. you, there, there's, they're not bloody kills. Where exactly. Friday Thirteenth was the first one, and why it's, I think, so why it separated itself from the pack to some degree. It, it's camera. Sean's camera lingers on the cut in the throat. Yeah. Um. No one can forget the Kevin Bacon death in that first movie. I mean, we all looked under our beds for years to make sure no one was under there, so they could shove an arrow through the through the through the box frame, the mattress, whatever wood was there, and then through our neck into our, I mean, it's, the, the physics of that is so insane, but we were yeah. terrified. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, I, I guess, you I know. guess it's like the, the opening of Halloween, and you literally have, you're looking through the killer's eye holes, stabbing right. a naked woman. I guess, I guess the association of promiscuity and death really, I guess, gets yeah. crystallized in Halloween because everybody ripped it off. So it's just interesting that they didn't, criticize that. I always thought that was kind of no. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, what's interesting too, don't forget, guys, is that Tom Savini did the makeup for the first Friday the 13th film, and the reason they, they picked right. him is because he did the makeup for Dawn of the Dead, which yep. is a movie yep. that Ebert gave four stars to. Yes, that's it. Yeah. It was unrated at the time because it would never get an R yeah. rating. So, mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, I don't yeah. understand... I can understand you don't like them, but to say it's dangerous and to give someone's home address and send contact them, that's just reprehensible. No, it's outrageous. 
it's not it's yeah, not ra- it's, it's, weird. it's actually it's weird. kind of disgusting it's a disgusting yeah experience. yeah yeah and later in life he liked the devil's rejects quite a bit which is another really like dark movie I know. Yeah, I guess with me, it's like it's just, it seems inconsistent. It's strange that certain yeah. movies they pick out and movies they didn't. I was like, okay, well, I don't know. And actually, Cisco gave three stars to Halloween three. People don't know that he gave that movie a review. Oh, really? There you go. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, that's a movie. Yeah, I think people like it because when I was a kid, it was like very rare for anyone to like it, and I really liked it. But now I think yeah. it's almost reversed. I think it's rare to find people who I don't agree. like Halloween three. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, think I also think that when, when people, yeah. oh, sorry. Oh, no, I think this thing about, you know, time and a new generation and people going back and watching it, they're not hung up on there's no Michael Myers. They're just looking at it as a movie yeah. on its own and free of all yeah. that. Yeah. People and buy the movie they have the title along. That as well. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, think every, I, think, I think everyone stopped to let someone else talk and then no one talked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hope you're editing this show. Yeah, I have a bunch of time cues written down for different uh, various cool. uh, things. Cool. So. Love it. Yeah, I don't want to do no, no, thing, you know. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I, I've been on Neil's show. It's awesome. Like, the show itself is awesome. So I'm not uh, – I, I, he, 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 uh, he gets his business. Boy, does he. Well, I appreciate that. Sure. Thank you. It's true. Oh, yeah. And Neil, thank you, by the way, for being able to uh, accommodate us at the absolute last minute with with having uh, all four of us on. Uh, I know there was a little bit of pressure, you know, waiting on dates from us and stuff like that. But thank you so much. Oh, no, that's cool. No problem. Thank uh, thank you guys for coming on. I really appreciate, you know, coming on the show to talk about the the movie because I'm looking forward to it. And so, yeah. Indiegogo is where the, the campaign where the people campaign. can go and uh, I'm hearing my own echo now. It's very weird. But uh, Indiegogo <laughs> campaign, uh, it's, I'm sure it'll be launched by the time this is up. Uh, and there'll be a link right here in the website. Oh, and don't not forget it. to also the uh, Facebook page also. Uh, I think that's important. People can see updates there and it also links to the Indiegogo campaign. Yeah, and we're on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, and Adam, he he does a live video every once in a while. You go up there, and uh, so even if you're not uh, there to, to, we should be there to donate for the Indiegogo. But even if you just want to go there and uh, and find out more about it and talk about uh, uh, talk about Jason's the hell, it's cool to, uh, to to join up there and see what's going on and share stuff. Yeah, exactly. We want want everybody to know that you don't have to necessarily, you know, we we welcome everything. You know, if you want to get out and share, you know, share your heart off. If you want to get out and donate, donate. You know, we welcome and we value everything that you guys do. Any last words from anybody? The one thing I would say uh, truly is that, look, this movie is is only happening because of the fans. Um, We need the fans' help in realizing this this picture in realizing what we're going to be able to do. Um, and so I, I implore anybody who is excited about this movie, you know, there used to be a situation where you would pay at a movie theater to get filmed. That seems to be going the way of the dodo. And now it's like people are paying before the movie even gets made um, in order to see the film. And that's the thing. We need you guys to, uh, to support this project in a way that allows us to go and make it for you. Uh, and that's what this Indiegogo campaign is about. It's about, it's about allowing the fans to be partners with us in telling this story. Uh, because the story really worth telling. And it's, it's going to be fun, guys. It's going to be, uh, you're going to find out a lot of stuff you didn't know. 
uh, and stuff that you've heard before, but maybe not this way that illuminates a lot of the questions that you've had, uh, gave you some answers that I think will be wholly satisfying. I want to thank you guys for the opportunity to come on the show. Really appreciate it. You did a good job. You asked good questions. I really enjoyed it. And I hope people will come to the Facebook page and the Indiegogo campaign. There'll be, there'll actually be stuff posted, interesting content and people can read even if they can't donate. Like I said, please share the page. And uh, I promise you, this is a film made by fans for the fans, and it's not going to be a puff piece. It's going to detail everything. And Peter and Nick and Adam, trust me, they're all committed to doing the best that they can, and we need your help, too. And thank you. Yeah, thanks, everyone. I just second all that. I don't think I myself said. And I want to say a personal thank you to all the fans out there who have stuck tirelessly by us for the entire duration that we've been talking about bringing this to you guys. And, um, you know, I just want to say that everything that you do, everything that you say, everything that you share, every like that you give, every time you engage, every time you view our page, it helps us and it means something. Don't ever think that it doesn't. Very good. Well, I thank everyone for coming on and uh, go and check out the uh, Indiegogo campaign and the Facebook. And I'll talk to you guys all again. Thanks very much. Thanks again, Neil. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Hi, this is Kane Hodder, Victor Crowley, Jason from Friday the 13th. You're listening to WithoutYourHead.com. <laughs>